Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon. The stories we live by is the show. And last week I had planned to do an hour uh, on uh, the current state of our politics um, and the reasons why people uh, will get involved politically and accept authoritarian and totalitarian systems of politics and the con- some of the consequences from that. And uh, as, as I was uh, introducing that, and I was introducing uh, a kind of a side topic that I'll get back to today, and that is the psychology of our current leader uh, as exemplified, or what it means uh, by a picture that was still disturbing to me, of uh, a, an infant that had been killed uh, by a mass shooter. I, I think it was in, I said Dayton, I was wrong, it was El Paso. Well, maybe I'm refusing, <laughs> confusing it again, doesn't matter. Uh, and this orphan child is being held by uh, Mrs. Trump like some kind of a trophy while her husband beams proudly and happily with a thumbs up in front of him. Um, and the question is, uh, why would we accept that as leadership? And I'm going to broaden it because it's not just him. Our whole relationship to our leadership is one that really requires a kind of a, a thoughtfulness and an understanding from a psychological and from a social perspective because the consequences are so great. We are now fighting over all kinds of minutiae. And what's happening is that people will not talk to each other because like religious fervor that seems to preclude any kind of discussion about God or the nature of God or that the morals that are uh, 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 defined by any given religion through the mouths of human beings or whoever wrote the Bible uh, become uh, toxic to the point where people will kill each other and die to defend the literal truth of what the leaders or that book says, or or any uh, uh, text from any religion that lays out a set of facts that are true and sets out morals that should not ever be questioned. And from a democratic point of view, that can't exist. And the founding fathers who, who uh, created the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and the people who voted for it, recognized the reality of that passion to defend truths literally and truths with rage and anger and created what they believed would be a firewall between political life would be in civil hands. Um, It would not be the church that would punish sinners, but our courts, uh, after fair trials, in a reasonable and rational way, uh, whether that works or it doesn't work, but that was the theory that would would mete out punishments in a civil way. Um, I have (coughs) done many shows trying to show that psychiatry 
really is irrational in its authoritarianism and totalitarianism. And just to back up and discuss the difference between the two, um, authoritarianism is obedience to the word in, of, of the law, of religious law or secular law uh, um, uh, or psychiatric law uh, in a behavior. Totalitarianism is to um, be uh, as uh, obedient as you can be in thought. So in the masterpiece uh, explicating and describing totalitarian states, uh, George Orwell in 1984 has O'Brien as he tortures Winston Smith and says to him, you will not go to your death like the martyrs of old proclaiming uh, uh, the glory of God because they resisted the truth of another religion. If we tell you that two and two is five, you will believe that two and two is five. The state will tell you not only how to behave, but what to think and believe in the deepest parts of your own soul. And we now see that families not talking to each other if, if a brother or a sister or a cousin or, or parents and their children disagree, who say anything about the current leadership or the leaders that they prefer, violence and anger. And young men, uh, increasingly emboldened by the process going on, who say that, uh, uh, that the people they're shooting are not really human that they're against God or they're against the truth or they're against the good people who, in this case, generally turn out to be white and Christian and see them uh, uh, through the, a lens that dehumanizes and demonizes them. And this is destructive. Destructive especially because the world now faces all manner of catastrophe terrible catastrophe uh, a story a story today uh, in the news large numbers of salmon are dying because the water is too warm for them to live in um, we're going to lose our food supply and this is being recognized by scientists uh, uh, by people in all over the world and small measures are being taken, but unless the, the, the kind of um, limited thinking and totalitarian thinking and the problems that people really think are the major problems of their life uh, are put aside, at least to save the world, we're in real trouble. So I wanted to talk about, and I started to talk about the fact that our political beliefs and the way we act on them are no different from any other behavior. When somebody shoots somebody, it's no different than when somebody uh, goes to the movies. Yes, the act is different. In many cases, it disgusts us and it upsets us and it is damaging to life, but it's motivated behavior. It has meaning. And why are we losing our democracy? Why, when the leadership in our country, in Britain, perhaps again in Germany, which uh, in, by World War II, 
was at that point totally totalitarian, uh, uh, certainly authoritarian and totalitarian. Why in Russia and China are people so willing to give up their individuality and accept only the truth that comes out of the mouth of the political party, of the political leadership, usually uh, uh, enjoined and emboldened by whatever religion. But in Germany, uh, it was a Catholic country, a Protestant country, in China, Buddhist, uh, and yet, uh, regardless of the religion, people went along with the Hitler and Stalin and Mao Zedong in China. They went along with this. And millions died, and economies were destroyed, and life became a misery for everyone, except the leaders who ultimately paid a terrible price. Uh, <clears throat> when in Italy, Mussolini, who, who became a fascist and allied himself with Hitler, when his economy collapsed and his troops came home dead, the people turned on him, and he was brutally murdered and hung from a balcony over a, a public square by his heels, where his body lay and rotted, uh, rotted. So what are some of these reasons? And they are the same of all reasons. That which gives us pleasure we seek, and that which causes us terrible pain we seek to avoid. The deal that was made all over the world with religion was when religion promised that when we die, our consciousness or some form of life, something of us, would either survive or end up in a better place than the world we were actually living in during our lives. It set up a leadership structure of usually a warrior leader whose acts were justified by a cleric, somebody who spoke for the religion. A hierarchy was established. And once the hierarchy is established, it becomes self-perpetuating for two kinds of reasons. One, it creates tremendous rewards for those who are at the top of the hierarchy and tremendous punishments, death, torture, uh, rejection, ostracism uh, for those at the bottom. And once individuals internalize the labels that define their status and their worth, it becomes self-perpetuating. And this is not the time to go through the history of that, but anybody who studies history, and history really should be studied by everybody, um, should be um, aware of this. Uh, once people are put in this place and become terrified of, of, of questioning authority, openly or even in their thoughts, once they are become uh, uh, rewarded that the very life they live and the happiness they have, they see as a function of being part of a political hierarchy, uh, justified by a religious hierarchy, they're not going to give up easily or change or question either what is factually true or what is morally correct. The antidote for this, well, let's go one more. 
we've now created a peculiar situation in America in which advertising has played an incredibly powerful role in the lives of almost all of us. On television, if you have the right products, the right car, the right uh, house, the right neighborhood, it's not only that you feel safer, you feel better. You're a better person. The status, the economic status, as uh, exemplified by the endless pictures that we see advertised about the good life based on things, possessions, is incredibly powerful. Um, I was speaking with somebody recently about the drugs that are being sold, many of which uh, may help with diseases. Certainly the psychiatric drugs that I've discussed do nothing but disable the normal functioning of the human brain, the normal structure of the human brain, and in most cases do very little to change a life from one that is painful to one that is less painful but richer in which there is a, a greater dignity, in which work ends up having a value that is, brings joy and satisfaction merely than some money. This, this kind of, of advertising is now buttressed and increased by the Internet. Uh, the constant pictures on Facebook of people who are happy, and being seen by people who feel lonely, left out, and unhappy. And many of the same problems of economics are related to the technologies that have put millions and millions of people out of work or made meaningful kinds of work unavailable. We don't have a serious political discussion or economic discussion about what machines are doing to life in America. The only discussion is how easy and wonderful life becomes if you don't have to wash your own dishes, if you don't have to wash your own clothes, and I have a dishwasher and a washing machine. But they have nothing to do with making life more valuable, just easier. Human beings need a task. They need work. They need work that they find meaningful that supplies them with the money they need to live and the pursuit of those things, art and music and time and leisure time to read, to have discussions, to be involved with their families uh, on a meaningful, loving way, to thrive. And all of this is disappearing for more and more people. Not only do millions of people feel left out economically, they feel lonely, they feel miserable, they feel totally lost. And when a leader, any leader, comes along and says, only I can save you, it's very tempting for people to throw their lot in with this individual. And finding a scapegoat, which is what the authoritarian almost always does, Brown people, black people in our country become the scapegoat. If the immigrant comes here, they will take your job. 
Sometimes yes, but most of them no. This show, the science shows that. Economics shows that. In Germany, after, especially after World War I, the disastrous war that changed human history, the war that was going to end all war, the German people and their leadership, especially when Hitler came to power, blamed the Jews. And while there had been a thousand years before that of hostility to Jews by the Christian hierarchy, blaming the Jews to be corrupt and be the devil for reasons I can't even begin to get into, that group, those people who followed him, turned on the Jews, turned on other Untermenschen, the Poles, the Czechs, Eastern Europeans, uh, people of any color, with a vengeance, with a fury, and unquestionably did the patriotic thing in either passively or very actively uh, involving themselves in the slaughter of millions and millions and millions of human beings. I don't want to see that happen here, particularly when the larger problem of climate change, the larger problems of environmental degradation, the bar problems of, of diseases, uh, autoimmune diseases that grow uh, constantly are not being addressed uh, and, and, and could ultimately, uh, if not kill our species, uh, certainly make life intolerable for most of us or for most of the survivors. Uh, as I approach my 80th birthday, uh, my wife yells at me, you just turned 79, what are you already talking about, 80? But psychologically, that's where my head is. Uh, my future is not the future of my children or especially my grandchildren. Uh, they will live to reap what we are now sowing. And if there isn't a democratic, rational response, we're in deep trouble. Uh, the solution is easy. All of us have to go to school. All of us have to learn. All of us have to be helped to be responsible citizens. But being responsible means having the skills in any given situation to be responsible. Take a nine-year-old, put him behind the wheel of a car and say, drive responsibly. He will not. Not because he may not want to, but because he doesn't understand what driving is and doesn't have the skill to do it. When we take education and we make it, uh, grind it down to nothing, uh, we, 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 when we uh, put all kinds of phony courses, when we inflate grades, uh, when we cheat, when parents cheat to get their kids in special help by going to psychologists and psychiatrists so that their children will uh, be given extra time on tests, we degrade the system. When politicians turn on teachers who want a, a, a decent wage, we degrade the system. Education to me and to the founding fathers was one of the things that was necessary to give people the kind of skills and understanding they need to be citizens in a society and raise issues about the environment, about the workplace, about all kinds of things in life that prevent them 
from being responsible citizens and develop the skills necessary to be responsible. One more thing, and I want to stop. We worship our politicians until we turn on them and hate them. We hold them to ridiculously high standards on one side. If they fluff a word or fump a word, they make a misstatement, tear them down. Many do that. On the other hand, while we idealize them and idolize them, they can do nothing wrong, and we listen to their words and hang on them. And when they tell us only they will save them, just a quick side. Many of the people who now scream that Trump was sent by God to save them seem to believe that Jesus was going to save them, that God was going to save them. That's some shift in allegiance for all too many people, raising all kinds of interesting psychological questions that go beyond fear and rage and hopelessness and helplessness that I've been talking about up until this point. But I thought about something partly because of this broadcast and the one I did last week. The more you talk about something and think about something, the more ideas pop up that raise questions. Anybody who becomes president of the United States of whatever party will discover immediately, if they didn't know it before, or if they knew it but didn't feel it as a part of their life, that a man with an attache case will appear, and he will stand outside their bathroom, their bedroom. He will never be more than a certain number of feet away from them for 24 hours a day. That man and his his, uh, uh, associates will be there with that attache case. And what's in that are the codes and the button that could launch America's nuclear missiles. Uh, Who was the scientist who, after the atomic bomb, I forget, and my mind is tired because it's late in the day, said, I am Armageddon, after the bomb was developed and blown up in the desert uh, in New Mexico. I am Armageddon. Every leader who seeks an atomic weapon or accepts one is potentially Armageddon. Why is there never a dialogue about that? Why are we in our desperation to give incredible power to these individuals, to our leaders? And there must be leaders. There has to be leadership. Why do we accept without question that any given one of them, whether we like them or we don't like them, is Armageddon in potential? I read an article some time ago that um, if even four atomic bombs of good size blow up in the deserts somewhere in the world, around the world, the sand that, that will go up into the sky will darken the sun for so long and so severely that we could have what's called a nuclear winter. And life for most of us will be a misery beyond trying to describe. And yet, these individuals never talk about the fact that they will have the potential to bring on the Armageddon, the end of civilization, to cause pain that is unimaginable to so many billions and billions of people. 
They seek it. They know it's there or pretend they don't know it's there, and none of us discuss it. Only in a democracy where we have enough power in the hands of people who have enough education and enough of a life to think philosophically and wise will we have such a dialogue. It's not there now, and I don't know if we'll get there in time. But authoritarianism and totalitarianism are our genetic inheritance because of the lack of education because and maintained by a lack of education and a lack of individuality that the founding fathers understood was necessary for a real democracy to exist. I hope we don't lose what's left of our democracy. Uh, I don't mean to call anybody bad names. Uh, I think that every time we scream at somebody because there are political different, difference, uh, because they upset us, we need to ask ourselves, why am I so upset that I would lose a relationship with a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a good friend? Why? What is it I'm so afraid of that I have to look, that won't look at in terms of where I am in the political spectrum and what I'm seeking from our leaders, from those above me as we see them and below as I understand them or accept that they are below me to begin with? Enough. I'm going to stay on the air for a few more seconds. Nobody called in. In any event, I feel better I've discussed this. The next time I'm on the air, I'm going to be discussing uh, a discussion with a uh, an activist uh, who uh, spent his professional life trying to make people aware of the dangers of the authoritarianism and the lack of science and truth in the whole myth of mental illness uh, and what came with it. Okay, not time for a glass of wine yet, but getting closer. Okay, ending my broadcast.